0: Now we're going back to 1971 to investigate a crime which still stands today as the only unsolved plane hijacking in American history. On the day before Thanksgiving that year, a man known only by the pseudonym D.B. Cooper carried out an audacious act of airborne piracy 10,000 feet over Washington State. Colin Flynn has the story. It was a cold, stormy night on November the 24th, 1971. There was a strong wind, heavy rain, and it was pitch black. And somewhere between Seattle, Washington, and Reno, Nevada, a man fell from the skies. He was wearing a parachute and had $200,000 in cash strapped to his body. He had just jumped from a passenger plane in midair. And despite being trailed by two fighter jets and one of the biggest manhunts in the history of the fbi the man disappeared into the black of night and was never found seen or heard from again he parachuted out of the plane and he hasn't been seen since A few hours before that unbelievable scene played out, a thin man in his mid-40s, well-dressed in a black suit with a black tie and carrying a black briefcase, walked into Portland International Airport in Oregon and purchased a one-way ticket to Seattle, Washington. He gave the name Dan Cooper and he boarded the plane. Departure the clear for takeoff. When Northwest Airlines 305 took to the skies, little did the other 36 passengers or six crew members know that sitting quietly at the back of the plane, smoking a cigarette and drinking bourbon, was a man who was about to carry out one of the most daring crimes in aviation history. It was shortly after takeoff that Dan Cooper handed a note to Florence Schaffner, one of the flight attendants on the plane. Florence assumed the note contained a lonely businessman's phone number and she put it straight into her purse. Dan Cooper leaned towards her and he gently and politely whispered, Miss, you better take a look at that note. I have a bomb. He was not nervous. He seemed rather nice. and Other than he wanted certain things to be done she sat down beside him and he opened his briefcase just enough so that she could see what appeared to be six sticks of dynamite inside Cooper told her he wanted the plane to land and he wanted $200,000 in cash he wanted parachutes and when the plane landed he wanted a fuel truck on standby ready to refuel the plane he told her if they didn't comply and meet his demands he would quote do the job the pilot contacted seattle airport who informed the fbi and the other passengers were completely unaware of the dangerous situation that was unfolding the pilot made an announcement that their arrival in seattle would be delayed because of a minor mechanical difficulty and for around two hours the plane circled the airport while on the ground the fbi scrambled to collect two hundred thousand dollars in cash Eventually, the plane landed in Seattle. Jeffrey Gray is the author of the book Skyjack, the hunt for D.B. Cooper. Well, in Seattle, on the rainy tarmac, the demands are met. The passengers are all let off, and the money in the parachutes are brought on board directly to him. It's just him and her. Her being Tina Muklau, the youngest stewardess on the, on the crew. And inside the cockpit, there are a pilot, a co-pilot, and a flight engineer who had never left the cabin all throughout the flight. He wants the plane to go to Mexico City. He demanded to be flown to Mexico City, but was told the plane couldn't hold enough fuel. For a while, they debated about which airport they could stop at to refuel, before he told the pilots to get the show on the road. And the plane once again took to the skies, headed for Mexico City with the agreement that they would stop to refuel in Reno, Nevada. And this is where the story gets even more unbelievable. Picture the scene. It's a stormy, rainy, windy and freezing cold night. The plane is flying in the dark over woodland and is now being followed closely by two fighter jets. Dan Cooper orders the pilots to fly at a lower altitude of 10,000 feet, and reduce the plane's speed to the minimum amount without the plane stalling and falling out of the sky, which was 115 miles an hour. He put on one of the parachutes, and with material from a second parachute, he strapped the $200,000 to his body. He then ordered the air hostess Tina McLeod to join the pilots in the cockpit and close the door. Eric Smith works for the American Military University and has been working with a team analysing the D.B. Cooper case for 10 years. Uh, as the flight attendants were up front and uh, the pilot, they, they noticed a noticeable shift in the weight of the aircraft, almost as if they're hitting an air pocket and... Uh, and that they understood that that was probably the moment that he had dropped the back entrance. Amazingly, he opened the plane's rear door, and somewhere over the forest, he jumped from the plane, hurling himself into the history books. That's the last time anybody saw him. When he got on a plane in Portland, Oregon last night, he was just another passenger. But today, after hijacking a Northwest Airlines jet, ransoming the passengers in Seattle, then making a getaway by parachute somewhere between there and Reno, Nevada, the description on one wire service, master criminal. The manhunt began that morning, and it was an epic manhunt that followed, I mean, one of the biggest in, in the nation's history. And one of the first things they tried to do, in addition to figuring out who he was, was where he landed. Now, this area of terrain to search is some of the most remote, if not the most remote in this country. It is where Bigfoot lives. The military deployed approximately a thousand troops who searched the suspected jump zone on foot and in helicopters. But there was no parachute, no clothes, no body, no trace of him whatsoever. A sketch of Dan Cooper was published in almost every newspaper in the country and flashed all over TV for months. Rewards were offered for any information leading to his arrest and the serial numbers on the banknotes of the $200,000 were published. The FBI interviewed over 800 suspects, but one by one they were discounted. They had come to a dead end until almost 10 years later when an eight-year-old boy playing on a small beach by the Columbia River, which was several miles from where Cooper had jumped, dug up in the sand $5,800 in cash. The serial numbers match the ransom money given to Cooper. But to this date, the rest of the money has never been found. This is the largest piece that we've found so far. Uh, It has almost the entire serial number on it, but most of the pieces are very much smaller, about the size of a dime or even smaller. Let me just ask you one other thing. A lot of this earlier, the larger bills were found closer to the surface, these later ones down lower. How long ago might it have been that they were buried? Some of this money was found two and three feet deep in the sand. I would just guess that would be uh, four, five, six years. Over the years, many people have come forward claiming they suspect a friend or a family member was D.B. Cooper. I'm certain he was my uncle, Lynn Doyle Cooper. Rax Farah's D.B. Cooper. Yeah. You sure? I'm sure. Everybody's got a suspect. They're still looking for Elvis. Are you D.B. Cooper? Are you D.B. Cooper? One man even claims to have met him on the night of the jump when he stopped in a small diner on his way to play music at a country club. And I'm sitting there drinking coffee and this man walks in. He's soaking wet. Got a black slick back hair, a black suit, black penny loafers. And he comes up to me and he says, kid, he says, where am I? I said, well, you're about four miles east of Cleellum." He said, if I make a phone call, he says, could you give this friend of mine directions how to get here to pick me up? I said, sure, no problem. And he said, well, don't worry about your coffee, kid. He says, I'll take care of it. Shook hands with the man, I got out. And got in a truck and I left. Dan Cooper was on the FBI's most wanted list for 45 years until they announced they were closing the case in 2016. Eyewitnesses who saw him on that flight that night in 1971 estimated he was in his 40s. And so if he did survive the jump and lived in hiding for the rest of his life, he would now be in his 90s or he would be dead meaning the case of D.B. Cooper would have died with him, and so it will most likely remain a great mystery forevermore. He parachuted out of the plane. It landed in Reno, and he hasn't been seen since. Colin Flynn was reporting there on the amazing story of D.B. Cooper. 49 years on, the case is still a source of intense speculation and the identity of the mysterious skyjacker continues to confound the authorities.